the only daily Premier League podcast. This is Football Social Daily. Hello, hello, hello. It's Sunday night. It's the end of the weekend and this is the Football Social Daily weekend review show. Nine games, goals left, right and centre and as a little aside, anyone who might be feeling their age this weekend, a reminder, Manchester United's season may have been saved thanks to a strike partnership with a combined age of 70. So if you've got a few creaky knees this weekend, never ever fear because as this weekend has proved, you can indeed teach an old dog new tricks or as is probably a bit more accurate, you can rely on two world-class strikers to score you the goals exactly when you need them. Right, United, that's where we kick off on tonight's show. The pressure has eased just a little bit on Ole as Ronaldo and Cavani powered them to a 3-0 win over Tottenham. We'll be diving into that one as Nuno Santo potentially overtakes Ole in the sack race. And whilst it was a good weekend for the red half of Manchester, it wasn't so rosy for the Blues. And let's be honest, we don't say that very often, but Patrick Vieira's Crystal Palace picked up a 2-0 win at the Etihad. That's all to come in part one. In part two, we've got two more cracking games. Arsenal's unbeaten run stretches on thanks to victory at Leicester and Liverpool were held by old foes Brighton at Anfield. Right, and then to wrap up the show in part three, we have a first win of the season for Burnley in the Premier League, plus some big, big points on the board for West Ham and for Leeds. Right then, my name's Fergal Brennan and joining me for tonight's show, we have the Athletics Manchester City correspondent Sam Lee. Sam, how are you doing? Yeah, all good, mate. All good. Interesting weekend of football, isn't it? Always. Indeed, indeed. There's loads to get through, so we're going to jump straight into it. Alongside Sam, we also have United fan and BBC Radio Manchester's finest, Dave Scott. Dave, it's been a while since we've had you on the podcast. How's things? Uh, a lot better than the last time when we was on. It's nice to be uh, the only United <laughs> fan. It's to be the, 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 the celebrating side of Manchester for a change. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And that's probably the mood this weekend. We had Jay on last weekend after he got spanked 5-0 <laughs> by Liverpool and he was he was a Gross. man on the brink. He was he was a broken, broken man. Uh, we had to be very, very gentle with him. Kick gloves to, uh, to make sure that he was okay. He was actually so delicate that he thanked me. We had Jonathan Smith on, the, the City correspondent for goal, and he thanked us for going gentle with him because he knew that there's other characters that do <clears throat> occasionally appear on the podcast that would have just absolutely gone to town on him. Right, so... <laughs> United, Dave, you get the <clears throat> you get the nice end of it. Jay had the bad end of it last weekend. You've got the good end of it. 3-0 away at Spurs. Ronaldo Cavani, two massive goals. And then Marcus Rashford off the bench to clinch it. Three goals, three points. The soap opera around Oli has obviously gone on for the whole week. There's so much attention on what's going to happen next. When is the situation going to change, etc. So I just want to kind of get your immediate take on this. We know that he's right in the middle of this massive run of games. And that's probably going to decide whether he stays in charge of Manchester United. Three points away from home against the Tottenham side that, albeit are not doing brilliantly themselves, has this changed the situation for Oli, either in the short term or in the longer term? Um, I don't think it has really. I think it's hard to take anything away from... Well, whilst it was a great result, let's not take anything away from Spurs. They put, they put three points on the plate and United seemed to go through it like a fat kid at a buffet yesterday. And it was just... I, I, I just think that it's hard to sort of assess 
how much has changed. I know we're talking about new formations and a lot of people were saying it was three at the back. I'm a bit more cynical. I thought it was five at the back uh, yesterday. Um, I don't think there's too much to read into it, whether it saves his job. I think uh, it's very much down to the Glazers finding the man that they want to replace him with rather than any results that Solskjaer gets uh, in the time being that will save his job. I really think he'll, he'll have to go out as far as to get the Champions League uh, this season to, to sustain a job for me, Fergal. And looking at the situation, obviously, <clears throat> you're kind of joking saying, was it a back three? Was it a back five? This was a tactical change. It was clearly a reaction to the defeat to Liverpool last weekend and looking to kind of recognise the pressure and the situation that he's in. One of the big criticisms that's been thrown at Oli in the last few weeks is that United don't seem to have a plan. Tactically, structurally, they just seem to kind of wing it and hope for a Hail Mary moment from Ronaldo or Cavani or somebody like that. When you play with a back three, that tends to see that you are reacting to the situation. You're putting an extra player in there to protect against maybe errors or conceding silly or sloppy goals. Is there even just a minor move in the direction that he's now recognising that you can't just rely on Ronaldo, you can't rely on pace on the break to win games. There needs to be a plan in place, not just for him to protect his job, but for United to start getting results. Yeah, I think so. And you say it's been over a few weeks regarding this sort of identity or formation. We've been fed the line as United fans since, since Solskjaer's been there that we need to play the United way and all this DNA narrative, which, to be honest, makes me feel quite nauseous every time, every time I hear it. Um, five defenders, three defenders, whatever it is. He set up yesterday uh, not to get beat first and foremost. Uh, and because Spurs were very Spurs yesterday, it was, sort of, it was an easy game for us to take all the three points. I'm not so... Uh, I'm not like one of these Puritans United fans that want to see the bombing wingers of old when Ferguson was in charge because football's moved on a hell of a lot and I'm not too sure whether Solskjaer can go toe-to-toe with the likes of Klopp, Pep or Tuchel that like to micromanage their football teams because it's like you alluded to there Solskjaer seems to want to get through uh, games on sunshine and good vibes and it's just not it's just not enough to sort of to, to win any trophies and I, I just don't think he's got it in his locker to, to improve that much over the few games that he might have left. And obviously there's talk of the vultures circling. Antonio Conte is the favourite to take over from him if United um, take the decision to to get rid of him, to move him out of the club. These two games that are coming up are part of this block of six matches. Atalanta in midweek in the Champions League and then obviously the derby against Man City next weekend. Given the fact that there's probably or almost certainly not going to be any sort of change before the derby because the club have said they don't want that disruption, then obviously there's international break that comes in. Is Ole Gunnar Solskjaer going to still be manager of Manchester United after the international break? Even if he comes out of the Atalanta game and the derby with positive results, is he still going to be in charge or or is the die cast in terms of where Ole is going? Uh, I think I think the die is cast. I'm not too sure. Like I said, I, I think it depends on who the Glazers want. If they want Conte, and the rumours that I'm hearing is that he might not be the the one the Glazers want because he might be more trouble than, than he's worth and very much in the Mourinho mould not so much the football but that he wants to identify players and he'll want the board to bring him in I mean that was the reason why uh, he left the, the inter-team that, that won the Scudetto last year in Serie A so I'm, I can understand the sort of reluctance to go over Conte and if they don't want him then I can't see the Glazers um, pulling the trigger after the derby game well I mean unless it's another trouncing like uh, the Liverpool game and then hopefully I'm not on the podcast that week <laughs> you can get Jay, you can get Jay on but I think it very much depends on, on who, they're ide- who they're identifying uh, and it's, it's like me and Sam were talking before we started the show who do you get into for the caretaker boss Phil Neville yeah 
<laughs> do you know what I mean? Uh, uh, who do you get in? But I, I really think when you look at Chelsea last year as a as a model of how you can change the fate of your season by changing your manager midway through, that team there on paper should be enough to have a decent run at the Champions League to get the top four. So with the the right recruitment of a manager, and for me, I would I would personally take Conte because he's a he's a, he's a serial winner. It may be short termism, but in a industry now where players across the continent seem to only keep a job in European football for three years. How long are you really expecting? I don't think there's too many other Klops, Tuchels or Peps out there that would take the United job with this sort of ambition of being there for, for 10, 15 years or whatever some of these you know, so, so, some United fans want, which is great. You know, Everyone would love that stability of the club, but I just don't think the industry moves like that anymore. Looking across to the other uh, to the other dugout, Sam, and Nuno Santo, he probably was holding up a big massive arrow pointing at Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because attention on him has now actually completely switched after the game. So, um, Dave said, obviously, they handed over three goals, three points. Tottenham on a really bad run, particularly in the Premier League, just two wins in the league in the last seven games. Santo has now leapfrogged everybody else in the Premier League in terms of the bookies race to be the next manager sacked. He's massively uh, odds on to be gotten rid of probably between now and the international break. And it's it's such a strange situation because the Spurs fans were singing against him. They were singing against Daniel Levy. They were singing that he didn't know what he was doing based on some of his, his substitutions in, in the second half. And it's a very difficult one to gauge because without arguably maybe not really doing anything wrong, he hasn't really done an awful lot right. And Nuno Santo, for me, my, my opinion is that he's a, a bit of a victim of the situation. He's come into a really difficult situation. Obviously, there's the headache and, and the knock-on from the Harry Kane uh, scenario. His contract, we know that he wasn't first choice. Given the fact that he's on a bit of a losing ticket, could he be gone before Oli is? Yeah, probably. I think so. Um, it's interesting that you say the quite sympathetic of Nuno because I don't think there's there's too many people who are there definitely aren't Spurs fans or not too many Spurs fans who are I'm not, I'm not sure there's too many in the media and that's probably because he's quite surly isn't he he's not an, he's not an easy character to warm to and he got grumpier as last season went on and you know that was something that the Wolves players noticed and he doesn't he doesn't talk an awful lot he's not particularly lucid so the average fan's not going to see his press conferences clipped up on Sky Sports News or on the radio because mm. he, he's not he's not very exciting to listen to and when it, when all you've got I know it's not not how it should be judged but when all you've got is the football um, to, to show what kind of guy you are what kind of character you are and the football's crap then you don't have much going for you do you um, uh, they're just they're just terrible aren't they um, when they lost to Arsenal a few weeks ago they got slammed for having kind of just no plan in midfield, a bit like, you know, the criticism of, of United. And it was the same against United on Saturday. The, the 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 midfield three were just kind of powder puff and as much as you know, it wasn't easy for United because, you know, they they were in a in a bad state last week and they are generally, you know, then they're not as good as the 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 other three of the of the top four. Um but Spurs are just so bad. Um United, it, it was it was kind of prime for United because at least you, you, there is something there with United. For all the ills of Solskjaer, the reason he hasn't been sacked before now is when it just looks like it's really bad, he turns it around. Whereas with Nuno, it's just bad. Like it it, it is just bad with Spurs and nobody's happy. And like I say, the fans didn't really want him in the first place. It was obvious the club didn't want him as first choice. So he needed results early to to sort it out, and that's not what's happened. So. Yeah, he's going to go soon, I'd have thought. Looking at the players in terms of performances as well, Sam, we look at the results, you go back to the Derby defeat against Arsenal, other than the win over Villa and the win over Newcastle where there was, there was little shoots of optimism. 
there is also a school of thought that there's certain players, and I think we all know who I'm hinting at, the man who's only got one Premier League goal so far this season. There is a bit of kind of frustration from Spurs fans that whilst they might know the biggest fan of Nuno and, and the football that he's playing, we have seen a drop in key players' performances for Tottenham. Is that an issue in relation to him or is that just an issue in kind of malaise at Tottenham Hotspur Football Club? Um, I think it's a bit of both. It's a, Look, from, from covering City, obviously speak to a lot of City fans and hear from a lot of City fans on Twitter and stuff. And last week they were saying, you know, Ronaldo was a bullet dodged. And they said that about other players who've gone to United in the end. And it's been the same with Kane. But it's like you can't really judge how a, a player would do it Let's say a team like City, when if they, if I'd have been a number nine in Kane's case or Ronaldo's case, you put them into a team that generally works otherwise. But with Kane, there's so many other issues, and he's clearly not happy either. Like it, it's just a bit of a perfect storm, really. But there's been a lot of made of the fact that you know he's always outside the box, and he is. But he was always outside the box when he was scoring twenty odd Premier League goals, which is basically every every season he's had of his career. So that's not too big of an issue. Um, but it's it's a look. It's a it's a bit like United, isn't it? With Sancho and um, but over the years, I guess, and and Ronaldo in a lot of games, if the team's not really set up to to help you find the ball in the right space to 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 get the ball on on your right foot and in the right positions you've got no chance um i think that's what we're seeing with sancho early on i think that's what we've seen in a, with a bit for ronaldo and i think that's what we're seeing with kane you know there's just nothing there really they're very negative they don't create an awful lot and it was like england in fact the first few games of the euros kane was getting a load of stick and he was a bit sloppy when he got the ball but he barely got the ball so what was he supposed to do with it and i think that's the case for spurs Looking across to City, Sam, in terms of performance and result yesterday, 2-0 defeat at home to Crystal Palace. And Palace have become, you know, I don't really like this framing, but they have become a, a bit of a bogey team, particularly at home for City in the last couple of years. City have won just once, I think, in the last four seasons at home to Palace. They've generally given City a bit of a tough game, and, and that was the case yesterday. But looking at this from the outside in, watching it right from the word go, Palace looked hungry, they looked very organised, they looked ready to pounce on any sort of a mistake. And City just almost looked as if they were sleepwalking. Guardiola, you know, maybe a little bit like Santo was grumpy in his post-match press conference. But does this just get filed under a bad day at the office? City don't have a brilliant record against Palace and maybe just caught a bit cold? It's a tricky one because um, it was a bad day at the office. But if there's a, if you're asking me if there's anything a bit deeper there in terms of issues, I think there might be. You know, it's the fifth time they've not scored a goal this season. Um some people are saying sixth but I'm not really counting the community shield um, so the, and I think it's twice this season they've they've failed to, to score a goal in back-to-back games and that had only happened once previously in Guardiola's five years at City um, the strange thing obviously is they've scored six goals twice I think they've scored five goals three times they've scored four goals once and that was against Brighton last week and as Pep pointed out afterwards Brighton don't concede too many goals um, so it's weird how they can kind of turn it on but it's it's quite e- relatively easy for opposition teams to to turn it off um Southampton was one of those games when they didn't score um and they they pressed City high up and flooded the midfield so City couldn't get into the holding midfielder and they couldn't play out from the back as as perfectly as they normally do and that's what um what Palace did so you think look I don't know if United will go there and do the same thing but it might be something that other teams try um it might not be something that every team's going to be equipped to do but you know if you've got teams who are relatively on the front foot or happy to press like in the Premier League now there are more teams you've got Southampton you've got Brighton you've got um, obviously Palace that mid-level of team now is going to give um, 
give you more of a game as we saw with Brighton at Anfield so I think that that's part of the issue but yeah you'd always back City to to have enough to play around that um, but they didn't really they didn't really bounce back in the first 45 minutes and then playing with 10 men I mean look teams hold on with 10 men for wins all the time don't they they, they dig in they battle they two banks of five or well a bank of five and a bank of four and they dig in and that's how they get their win but teams don't win with 10 men when they're behind and and they've got to dominate the game City they tried to dominate they tried to stay on the front foot and they did but they're not particularly clinical um, and counter-attacks were inevitable when you play like that and Palace had a fair few counter-attacks and they could have scored before they did and that's how it went so it was a bit of a a bit of a nightmare really for City and bad day at the office but yeah it might it might say something about where they are this season in terms of the, the not finishing Two big talking points from the game. Imrik Laporte's mistake for the first goal for Conor Gallagher. He then raced on, set up with Sahar. And Laporte's afternoon just kind of went bad from, from bad to worse. He's then shown a straight red for bringing down Zaha. Direct goal scoring opportunity, straight red card. City players were unhappy. Guardiola was unhappy. And Guardiola was, was constantly in Anthony Taylor's ear right the way through the game. He was annoyed about time wasting from Palace. These obviously disrupted City's flow that they were trying to get into but looking at those key things was it a red card for you were Palace playing for time well Palace were playing for time um, the fans got really pissed off with the ref um, and like, I, I got a bit annoyed just with the time wasting he was like, well, just, like he's obviously time wasting he probably did it five or six times in the first half alone so I get that but the rest I thought the ref was fine the fans got frustrated because it was a frustrating game you know, City weren't doing things right. The goal that they thought they'd scored was offside, so that was frustrating for them. Um, other things, you know, you know, when you're a fan in the stadium, you think everything's going against you, don't you? And I think that was the issue. Um, I thought it was a red card, to be fair. Um, it looked like it, Zaha got the better of him and he pulled him down. As soon as he did it, I thought he's in trouble here. So it was no surprise to me to see the red card. City fans have said Cancelo was covering. Not sure. You, I mean... He, he was around I'm not sure he'd have stopped a direct run on goal from Zaha but yeah I've got personally I've got no complaints I thought it was a red card uh, Looking at Crystal Palace Dave we're talking about Patrick Vieira so far this season he's done well without maybe really tearing up the rule book but based on the last few games they're unbeaten in five and, and really unlucky against Brighton and Arsenal conceded a goal in injury time in both of them to, to shave four points off where they could be if they'd won those games they'd probably be in the European spots and Wilf Sahar again, right at the heart of everything for Palace yesterday, got the goal. He was really, really difficult for City to deal with. Obviously, got Laporte sent off with that challenge that we mentioned. And it was a landmark game for him as well. 50 goals in the Premier League. First Crystal Palace player to do that. Wilf Sahar is such an interesting case because every time the transfer window opens, he is on that list of players that is always mentioned with a move away. When Roy Hodgson was in charge, you could maybe see some of that because Palace were never going to move up or down or right or left. They were going to stay where they were. Patrick Vieira is trying to change things, trying to move them forward, trying to progress them as a club. Do you think that's enough to keep Wilf Sahar at Crystal Palace? Given the fact that obviously, you know, his time at United didn't go to plan, he's gone back to Palace, rebuilt his career. He's arguably, possibly, probably not going to go to a Champions League club. He's probably going to go to a Europa League club. But based on the way Palace are playing, they could find themselves fighting into the Europa League this season. Yes, I mean, it's, sometimes it's better the devil, you know. Don't I, you can understand him wanting to leave under Hodgson because the football was quite stoic uh, under Hodgson. Um, but with Vieira, I've been quite surprised. <clears throat> I, didn't really, I didn't really know what to expect because I think Vieira had a terrible time, didn't he, in Nice? I think he won less, I think it was less than 40% mm. average. In, but I don't really watch French football, so I couldn't be able to know what sort of football they were going to play. But the, they've been fantastic. I thought, I thought yesterday, whilst City fans can bemoan some ref decisions uh, and the sending offs, I, I thought Palace were, were, were good value for, for, for the three points. Conor Gallagher yesterday, 
was just shutting off everything all all, all over the park. Uh, and then Wilf Zaha yesterday had a fantastic. It was a great interview with uh, Match Today after the game. And the person interviewing him turned around and said, "Do you think Palace are better going forward this season?" And Zaha seems to take it personally. He's like, "I've been playing up front for the past seven years. What, what, what are you trying to say, mate?" <laughs> uh, but he made a great point in saying that under Vieira now the team behind him are playing the balls on the ground, so it looks from the outside that the the, the team are better going forward. And I think that should be enough for Zaha to maybe have faith in Vieira moving forward that, that they could go into Europa League because where do you go? It's a sideways step, isn't it? If you if, if you go to an Everton, you don't mm. know if they're going to get uh, a Europa League uh, football. But I think Zaha is his 29 next week, uh, which is phenomenal when you think about how long ago it was when he was at Man United. And I, I was really gutted when he was left. But I, like I said, he, he's not going to get a Champions League club, so it may be best for him to try and you know knuckle down and, and see how far Vieira can can take Palace. Yeah, indeed. Uh, we're going to grab a quick break. Dave, you're right. It is Wolf Sahar's birthday next week, 10th of November. He'll be turning 29. Wolf, if we don't see you beforehand, all the best and happy birthday. Right. We're going to grab a quick break here on Football Social Daily. After the break, it's Leicester against Arsenal and Liverpool against Brighton. We'll be back in just a second. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League Weekend Review Show. Just a quick reminder, if you're a fan of the podcast, regular listener, or even if you're a new listener, if you click subscribe on this episode, you can get a brand new podcast every single day. We are here every day of the Premier League season as the only daily Premier League podcast Wherever you get your podcast, we will be there. Just look out for Football Social Daily. Right, Leicester against Arsenal. Dave, I'm going to throw this over to you. Arsenal, impressive. I'm trying to hold back the smile. That's why I'm asking you this, because I love asking you and Jay about Arsenal, because I know that deep down it makes you it makes you so angry to uh, to talk about Arsenal doing well. So I'm going to take a bit, of a bit of Sunday pleasure out of this. Nine games unbeaten in all competitions, seven unbeaten in the Premier League for Arteta and Arsenal. And this was a really important one for me, not just as an Arsenal fan, but when you look at this in the context of the Premier League, Leicester have become, for me, the best of the rest. Really unlucky to not get Champions League the last two seasons, obviously just getting squeezed out of it right in the last couple of weeks of the campaign. Leicester have shown Arsenal, Tottenham, arguably Everton, West Ham now are in the conversation, what they need to do to be on the coattails of the, of the Champions League qualification places. Winning a game like this is another necessary step. If Arsenal fans are to look at what Arteta's doing and saying, this isn't just another false dawn. Yeah, I mean, every time I come on this podcast, Fergal, we seem to be talking about a different, different Arsenal side. I mean, if there was ever a team that was the erratic FC, it's probably it's probably your lot. Uh, but you are in you are in good form, especially after a <laughs> wall, especially after a, a woeful start. Uh, and I think consistency is key. I've never really been one for the rotation policy, and because you've, you've same starting eleven over the last three games, and it looks like you play more confident football with the young lads you've got, and the results are paying off. I think that what's a good blessing for Arsenal this year is probably the negative for Leicester is that you're not in Europe and Le- Leicester are I, th- I think mm. that probably paid dividends for you this season uh, but yeah it, it was. I thought Leicester came into the game a lot second half yesterday uh, and maybe Arsenal of old or earlier on in the season may have folded under the pressure but it seems that you r- rode it out comfortably but there was only one talking point from yesterday's game and that was the massive save from Aaron Ramsdale that was incredible 
Looking at the, the lineup, Dave's mentioned there, Sam, that Arteta is now seemingly, he's got his ducks in a row, he knows his best start in 11, same start in 11 for the last Premier League uh, three games. And the bulk of this team are brand new players that came in this summer. Ramsdale, White, Tommy Ashu, Tavares, albeit him in because Kieran Tierney's injured, and Sambi Lekonga in midfield. You throw in Thomas Partey, who's only been at the club a short time, and then young players like Smith Rowe and, and Bukayo Saka. This is a seems to me a bit of a mark of Arteta that he's saying these are my players, this is my team. Whatever you might have associated with Arsenal in the, in the not so distant past is now gone. This is my team. This is the way that we're moving, and, and the players are really responding in in a positive way. Learning on the job of how to talk about Arsenal over the last few years, I think my default position is they're quite good. Um, I'm sure. Look, in two or three weeks, you might have another podcast, and they're doing crap. <laughs> and everyone's everyone's going mad again because that was the case at the start of the season wasn't it but the way they finished last season what was that start from like Boxing Day towards the end of the season they were like third in the form table or whatever um, so, they were, they, so they finished pretty solidly they were in a pretty good in pretty good shape and then obviously they lost to Brentford and had a couple of bad results they got battered by City and everyone was talking about how they're awful again and you know maybe Arteta would go you know there was talk of him getting sacked two months ago not even that and I mean I wouldn't be surprised if there was again soon but overall they're they're, they're pretty solid um, but they haven't quite got maybe it's the quality that Liverpool, Chelsea and, and City have got um, I think they are well coached in terms of Arteta saying these are my players yeah that's that's the case he's probably said that all the, all the way from the start but he's, the squad probably does look a bit more how he wants it at this point to be fair um, whether they're reacting I mean they are at the moment but the thing with Arsenal is it never the runs never last that long before something else cropping up and then resetting a bit it's I wouldn't say it's one step forward two steps back it's it's almost like one step forward one step back and they just keep going like that and that's why they end up finishing around mid-table um, but yeah they're, they're quite good I, I'm not convinced they're going to fully take off but next time somebody's saying they're awful I won't buy into that either they're, they're in a weird situation at the moment but um, I suppose stability is anyway, it's, an, it's, an up, it's an upgrade on what's happened in the last four or five years I guess yeah and obviously just to offset what Dave's probably about to say in a second I do agree that even as an Arsenal fan I'm well aware that uh, we are always just two or three games away from a crisis but whilst the sun's out get yourself out in the garden and enjoy it right looking across to Leicester Dave maybe a little bit unfortunate for them particularly based on the second half stats wise they beat Arsenal across the 90 minutes and uh, particularly in the second half but they just couldn't get a goal obviously Ramsdale you mentioned that brilliant save from James Madison's free kick second half when he was needed to make saves he, he did and for me, looking at this game, I think Leicester are a little bit guilty of just constantly looking for Vardy, constantly looking to pop him in behind. He's got a brilliant record against Arsenal, but Brendan Rodgers chose to take off Kilichi uh, Iheanacho at half-time. He's been a really good foil for Vardy so far this season. He brought on Adamola Luckman, didn't really have the desired effect, and Leicester, whilst they had a lot of the ball and they created chances, they did look a little bit one-dimensional. Yeah, I mean, especially when you see the, the sort of performance that they put in against United the previous week when they just sliced us apart like uh, butter. But um, yeah, I think the Jamie Vardy situation is quite interesting at, at Leicester because I know he's somewhat evergreen. Uh, what is he, 34, 35 maybe now? 
Um, but I think Rod- I think Rogers needs to be looking at phasing him out this season. To be honest, I think every season we ask the same question about how long Leicester can rely on him, and I think the, sooner or later he's not going to be able to do it at all. And it was evident on Saturday. I thought he had a decent game, but they do need a, a, a plan B, and I think Leicester needs to start looking towards the future and building their team around Ian Acho. And I know Daka didn't play yesterday, but he looks a right talent for for Leicester. I've always been massively impressed with Leicester's uh, scouting and the recruitment that they've, that they've had moving forward. Yeah, Jamie Vardy's 34. He's not 35 until January, so no birthday shout out. I'm afraid that, that one just gets re- that one just gets reserved for for Wolf Sahar this week. Uh, moving across to one of the other games from Saturday, Sam Liverpool two, Brighton two. Jurgen Klopp was pretty frustrated, as you'd imagine, at full time. He was annoyed with some of the chances that they gave away and some of the tactics of Brighton in the in the last 15, 20 minutes that meant his team couldn't get a winner. But this is becoming a little bit of a habit for Liverpool in the last few weeks, whereby they do rely on their strikers, Mane, Salah, Firmino or Jota, depending on who starts, to outscore the opposition. And yes, Van Dijk is back in the team, Konate and Matip are rotating as his partner, but they are conceding probably too many goals for uh, for Klopp's liking. Uh, well, I'm trying to, I'm trying to think how, how often that's happened. I know it's been the case in the Champions League, hasn't it? Um, well, I think they normally won quite well. Um, I know Brentford. Well, the thing is, basically, Brentford three against Brentford, two against yeah, City, two yesterday. Yeah, well, all right, that's fine. But I mean, obviously, they beat United five nil. There, there's been a few of those in the in the Champions League where they've conceded a couple. So I'll take the point. Um, but they've also beat Porto five one. They beat Watford five nil and. Palace 3-0 we're raving about Palace at the moment um, Leeds 3-0 so they've kept a lot of clean sheets I think the issue some, if, I don't know if it's an issue really but like I was saying earlier there's good teams in the Premier League now and there's teams that you know if teams are going to cause an upset these mid-level or, or even kind of bottom level teams causing upsets against the top sides at the moment they're not really digging in and playing on the counter they're taking the game to you we saw that with Brentford in that 3 all draw like I said Brighton yesterday obviously they, they were happy to play through um even at 2-0 down, you know, they kept playing their way um, through Liverpool. They're, they're brave on the ball. They're coached properly. It's not just a week of, OK, we're playing Liverpool, what are we going to do? They know what they're doing in terms of those, the positions they need to occupy. Um, they're incredibly comfortable switching shape during games. They do it all the time, all the time within games. They've got that belief in their philosophy, for want of a better word. Um, so they can go to Liverpool and even at 2-0 down... I, I saw Klopp's press conference on Friday and he was telling the Liverpool fans, he was like, look, this isn't going to be a game we're going to stroll to a win. They are going to have time on the ball and a, a lot of you know time putting Liverpool under pressure. When Liverpool were 2-0 up, he probably thought, OK, we're all right now. But they kept coming. And they, they yeah, they played through them and City played through them uh, and Brentford played through them. And it's not because Liverpool have got any real weakness. When it's against a team like Brentford or Brighton and you're talking about Liverpool dropping points, you think, have they really messed up here? And maybe you could say they're a bit light in midfield in terms of it not being their, their first choice but you've got there are really good teams in the Premier League and it sounds like such a cop out um, it's almost like you're making excuses for the teams that got you know the biggest wage bills but it is true you know there's very well coached teams that will play through you and whether you're Liverpool or City or Chelsea's will come to see the, these teams can catch you out if, if you're not really at it so yeah it was a big shock to see Liverpool throw away points from winning 2-0 but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't think there's any major issue the only major issue really is Chelsea looks so solid and they, they don't seem like they're ever gonna they're ever gonna drop points in, in these games but I'm sure that'll come
one of the possible things, Dave, that Jurgen Klopp could be worried about is, is a little bit of an injury concern coming down the tracks. Obviously, last season was dominated by Liverpool having so many important players out injured for, for lengths of times. Naby Keita has been really important for them in the last couple of weeks. Got himself a goal against Atletico Madrid and he's, he's really, really kicked on in terms of his, his level. But he was taken off yesterday. Looks like he's going to be out for a period of time. James Milner's out probably until after the international break. Fabinho is injured. Thiago is injured. And given the situation that Liverpool found themselves in last season where they were caught short in terms of a squad, is that maybe a concern? Yes, they'll have the international break to maybe get a few people off the treatment table, but they do have a lot of midfielders out injured at the minute. And whilst they're firing all cylinders up top, they do need to make sure that the middle of the park is, is well covered. Yeah, I think that's a fair point to say that they're struggling with depth because after the much they imploded last season with defensive problems, I, I mean... Klopp was quite well spoken in the summer when he saw how much money the likes of United City and Chelsea were spending uh, and how little that Liverpool were investing. You'd think if any any of the top the top four teams required more players in a certain position, it was Liverpool because it, because of what happened last season. For me, that they're still the best team in the league for actually playing football. I'm not too sure if there's well drilled or play the mechanical football that Chelsea do at the moment. But I think to sort of get through this phase of injuries, they're going to require to score more goals than they are conceding. Because like I said, they were, they, they, there are a lot more um, defensive errors that are happening this season. But I, th I think Sam makes a great point that I think over the last maybe four years previously, the, the gap was massive between the sort of style of football that you were getting teams coming to your ground and playing, whereas now they are that they are better coached and stuff. So I, I think yesterday Brighton, you know, from 2-0 down to, to crawl, crawl back to a 2 all was a great result. And it's a justice when we're talking about Brighton and we're talking about the likes of West Ham that we'll touch on later on and Palace. And it's showing that the Premier League is getting more competitive. Just want to flip back to Brighton quickly, Sam, before we take a break, because looking at some of their results in the last few weeks, four, uh, sorry, four draws and a defeat in the last five Premier League games, but the last two games have been City and Liverpool. Unlucky probably against Arsenal not to get maybe a win. Obviously got themselves a last gaff goal against Palace to get a draw there, but this side of the international break, they play Newcastle next weekend. After the international break, Villa, Leeds, West Ham shoved in there, but Southampton as well. That's a relatively friendly run of games. You'd expect there's not really any need for Graham Potter to panic. As you said before, they're really, really well coached. They really believe in what they're doing. And you fancy them to get some positive results back uh, back to back in those games and just start driving up the table. I hope so. I like what they're doing. Um, I felt for them last year. The amount of podcasts that come on on a Sunday night last season and they'd play really well and not win. It seemed like that had been fixed at the start of, the, the start of this season. But obviously, like you say, the last few results have have gone against them um, they played well in spells against City but not enough to win the game and obviously did well yesterday um, and yeah with those fixtures coming up you would think you you would think that it, it's a good opportunity to get some points on the board I would say with Brighton you never know but yeah in terms of Potter being worried maybe he would be after last season and the way this season started he might have thought those days were over um, but still a bit to prove I guess but um, Trossard playing up front um, but doing it in, you know, when City play attacking midfielders up front the, the fans always accuse him of playing too many passes but for his goal yesterday um, he could have easily squared that through a tap-in but he took it on himself and that that could be the extra edge they need up front because obviously they've not always taken the chances they've created and they'll need that in the next few weeks in those what you would say are winnable games yeah indeed hopefully better things to come for Brighton after the international break speaking of breaks we're going to take a quick one now last one of the show because after the break it is the final games of the Premier League weekend five more to get through we're going to be getting stuck into all of them in just a second 
Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hello and welcome back to the Football Social Daily Premier League weekend review show. We are going to get stuck into the final five games of the weekend, starting with the league leaders. Dave, Newcastle nil, Chelsea three. This was pretty straightforward in the end for Chelsea. They stay top of the league and based on City's defeat and Liverpool's draw, they've now got themselves a little gap at the top. Back to winning ways, obviously drawing against Southampton in the cup, uh, but getting through on penalties. So I want to talk about Newcastle. Graham Jones is in interim charge, got a draw against Palace, last weekend they didn't really have a kick against Chelsea um, yesterday we don't really know what the situation is in terms of the new manager coming in whether he'll be given maybe through the international break and then they'll make a decision but given the fact that we spend so much time talking about who Newcastle are going to buy the evidence right in front of us at the moment is that they've got big big problems in the here and the now yeah, I mean, they've also got a big, big, big bank, bank balance that's going to probably solve that problem beginning in January, isn't it? I mean, if you look at Newcastle's performances and the team, what manager outside of Samuel Dice would want that job at the moment? But then you look at the owners and the money, then you wonder what, who wouldn't want it. I think, I, I, I imagine the, the, they're going to make an appointment before January uh, to ensure they stay up. Um, and I imagine that's when the checkbooks will open and there'll be a new dawn of a new era for, for the Geordies. But um, it's got to be nervous, hasn't it? I mean, when you go on Twitter, I think everybody who doesn't support Newcastle wants to see them go down and be the richest club in the championship I think when you look at the situation Sam obviously there is always going to be this position of whoever they bring in is going to have this huge amount of money to spend but time runs out very very quickly if they wait until maybe December or potentially even moving towards January to to appoint a successor it is a really really difficult job to dig yourself out of a relegation battle and given the fact that they're not going to appoint a kind of an Allardyce or a quote relegation specialist they're going to want to bring someone in who's looking upward looking to drag the club towards the European places in in the next few years it's a very difficult balance to strike because whoever comes in is going to have to address the immediate issue of getting them out of the relegation zone yeah you're right although I suppose if they've got a good enough coach um you know, they don't just have to get them to play four, five, one, and and dig in for wins and scrap. I know that is the kind of accepted way of doing things, but like we've just been talking about the the, the top teams in the league, or well, sorry, the the middle teams in the league that are very well coached and play on the front foot. You know, you, you can do it that way, but it, it is an interesting point. Um, it reminds me a bit of when Ancelotti went to Everton, and people said, you know, would he be used to coaching those mid-caliber players as opposed to the best ones? And to be honest, now he's left. I can't really work out how it actually went because <laughs> they weren't terrible, were they? But they weren't great either. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting that. But, um, yeah, it's dawned on me now that after talking about all the good teams and all the mid-level teams in the in the first two parts, we're now just talking about the teams that are really bad, aren't we? And whoever goes in whoever goes into Newcastle has got a hell of a job, hell of a job on their hands because you're right, they're going to have to do the keeping them up job this year and then they're going to have to do the managing Haaland and Mbappe next season so it's kind of I don't know who the right man is for who, that who do, you think it, who, I, who do you think it would be Sam uh, who, who, would you any, any idea was shortlist Fonseca being linked with it yeah a couple of weeks ago not even a couple of weeks ago and I know Fonseca he, he was close to the Spurs job um, that's seems like it it seems like a the right kind of thing to do because he's a forward-thinking coach and now everybody in the Premier League pretty much wants those kind of coaches now you know they don't really want the Steve Bruce's and the Roy Hodgson's anymore um but you're right it is it is a difficult one um 
Uh, Steve, I, I've always liked Steve Cooper, and who's been at Swansea, and he was an under twenty one manager with England. He's another forward thinking coach. But he's probably not quite big enough for what Newcastle are aiming for. But um, like you say, there is that disconnect, isn't there, between what they're aiming for and where they actually are now. Yeah. So it is difficult, and maybe Fonseca because he obviously wants to come to the Premier League. He's been close before, and I think if you get promised that kind of budget and backing, I think you would take it when your stock's not massively high you know whereas Conte if I was Conte I wouldn't touch it with a barge pole but if I if I wanted a, a chance in England it would be a bit more appealing so maybe someone like Fonseca yeah Fonseca as it, as it stands just looking at the, the current bookie stats is the favourite and at second place is Roberto Martinez but these things obviously change and you know there's various names being thrown in I'm, I'm scanning down towards the end Alan Shearer's 80 to 1 and we, we all know that's a, that's not going to happen Dave big win uh, for Burnley this weekend Sean Dyche's side plugging away first Premier League win of the season 3-1 at home to Brentford probably looking back over some of their games in the last month maybe a little bit unlucky not to get that, that monkey off the back before this weekend but whilst it was positive for them three points on the board we, we generally just kind of assume that, that Burnley are going to be okay it's a difficult spell for Brentford obviously everyone's been really really pleased seeing them in the Premier League doing so well at the start of the campaign and now this is three defeats in a row lost to Chelsea lost to Leicester and then going away to Burnley yesterday they were soundly beaten a little bit of a worry for, for Frank in the next few weeks yeah I mean getting beat by Chelsea and getting beat by Leicester I mean they're not that bad. I think they would have gone to Burnley and expected that they might be able to turn a corner there. Uh, but I was I was surprised it was Burnley's first win of the season, to be honest. It was a great win for Sean Dyche. But I think with Brentford, they've got two vital games, I think, with playing Newcastle and Norwich coming up. Uh, I think if they can get six points from them two, which they should be able to, to be honest, uh, given the form that both Newcastle and Norwich are in, then I could, I, I could fancy them being all right for the rest of the season. Uh, looking across to some of the other potential relegation or early relegation scraps uh, over the weekend, Sam. Watford nil, Southampton won. We expect that things are going to be a bit of a seesaw with Claudio Ranieri. Comes in, he'd only had a day or two working with the players and they got battered 5-0 by Liverpool. But as Dave will tell you, that can that can happen to anybody. They then go to <laughs> Everton, score five, beat Everton. And then maybe a little bit back down to earth this weekend, losing to Southampton. It, it is going to be a, a bit of a roller coaster for Ranieri. As much as he wants to instill some some calmness and some organisation into the team, they probably are just going to have to roll with the punches based on the situation that they're in in at the moment. Uh, well, I mean, they won't be thinking like this, but they seem like one of the teams that's going to go down. I'm not sure how much they've got about them to stay up. I think there's much better teams. If you look even at the teams down towards the bottom of the league who haven't been doing brilliantly, who haven't been getting the wins, like Leeds and Villa, you say they definitely have enough about them to stay up. Um, Burnley historically do. And and then you're looking at Southampton and Palace and they're, they're good. And Brentford, yeah, like you just said. Brentford, it could be a bit like Sheffield United. Sheffield United didn't win that many games, but when they did... It was always really impressive, but then they'd lose quite a lot. But you don't you don't need to win that many games to stay up. You just need to not be terrible, and they'll be. So I think they'd be all right. So then Norwich Norwich are awful, unfortunately. Um, Watford aren't far off, and then the other ones Newcastle. So those are the three that really need to worry, to be honest. Um, so yeah, for Watford, I'm sure they'll be thinking, oh, we've got we've got Saar, we've got this, we've got that, and Ranieri's got a good track record. But yeah, I'd, it's it's gonna, it's going to be a struggle for them and. Like, yeah, Southampton at home are the kind of games you want to be... I mean, you want to obviously be picking up the points, but you want to be scoring at least. And if, if you're not scoring, then you're in, you're in big trouble. And I think that's how it's going to be for what I love the idea of that uh, being the team talk going in. You don't have to be good. Yeah. Just, <laughs> mind, just don't be terrible. <laughs> 
Yeah, I that's think the ethos, <laughs> isn't it? I think when uh, I think when we're looking at the odds list here for the Newcastle manager, Sam, I can't see you down. I'm down to a thousand to one, and I can't see your, <laughs> your name on this list. When we look at Southampton, Dave, Mike Bassett stuff. Yeah, yeah, bring it, bring it on. I say bring it on. Um, Southampton find themselves in that position, Dave, where yes, they've lost Danny Ings. He's gone to Aston Villa. There was all this concern over over the amount of goals that they might be losing with him leaving the club, and it's probably going to be a really battle of thin margins down at the bottom of the table this season and losing Ings is obviously a big one but Chad Adams got himself nine Premier League goals last season scored the winner this weekend against Watford Armando Brocco's got himself a couple in the last few games they're not replacements for Ings Adam Armstrong's shown some positivity but when the bar is as low as it is in terms of the teams that are going to go down when you throw in Watford and Norwich and potentially Burnley and a few others you'd look at these and say no they're not Ings Ings is obviously a big blow but there's enough goals when the you know the limbo bar is that low that they probably should be okay. Yeah, I mean, just again to, to echo uh, Sam's sentiment, they're, they're not as bad as, as, as the rest of the teams below them. Uh, it was a big win for them yesterday, though, because I don't think they've won too many on the road. I think that was the second win in 18 games away from home. And it was, I think Shea Adams had one shot on target, one goal and, and, and three points to take. So it was a big win. Uh, and they've definitely got more across the group of players uh, at Southampton than, than the teams below them. Looking across to the Sunday game, Sam, West Ham, another weekend, another three points for David Moyes. They stay in the top four, obviously knocking Manchester City out of the Carabao Cup in midweek. They were helped by, by West Ham going down to 10 men just after the break, but they just keep powering on. All the all the comments and criticisms that were thrown at Moyes and, and West Ham during the summer, would they be able to balance the Europa League? Did they have the squad? Did they have enough players? They just keep ticking these boxes and, and they're turning in some really, really impressive performances. Players who were maybe kicking up a level or two under Moyes and, and the signs look really, really positive. Whether they'll stay in the top four race for the long haul obviously remains to be seen. But looking at their results and looking at the way that they're playing, they are really, really impressive. Yeah, they are. Um, again, thinking back to last season and the, the pods, some of the preview ones, when West Ham were going well, I remember they were playing Newcastle and like, oh, this should be an easy win. I was like, the thing with teams like, like te- teams like this who are doing well, you you make you pay more attention when, when they win, a bit like Sheffield United. But when they don't win, you kind of forget it. But the problem is consistency. And West Ham didn't have that consistency. And lo and behold, I remember they lost to Newcastle at the, towards the end of last season when they were expected to win. And, you know, if they had a won, um, that had been in the top four, and that was that was what they lacked. But this season, yeah, despite how difficult European football on a Thursday night makes things, because it because it really does, they've yeah they've they've kept doing it. And like Villa away, I know Villa had lost the last three, but to to go and win four one there with even even with Villa having ten men to go and to make hay, you know, not just cling on for the two one, but to to add a few more goals it is really impressive they are they are doing really really well they, there's not really been any major blips this season they, they've, they've not won every game obviously nobody has um, but they've not had any you know they've not even had bad patches like Spurs have like Arsenal have had like United have had um, I wouldn't quite say like City have had but obviously like I mentioned there's been times when they haven't scored goals um, yeah they're up there and on the radio earlier I heard them say hey, West Ham are in that top four race do you think they can do it and I th- instinctively thought well absolutely not but I suppose it de- depends, and I'm not taking. But I suppose it depends how long Solskjaer stays at United for, because if if United do get in a, a more competent manager, then United are easily going to finish in that top four, and not necessarily a fourth. Um, but if if the United situation drags on for a bit longer, then it will be open, and West Ham have got as good a chance as anyone. 
looking at the last game of the weekend, Dave, and this one does stink of final game on a Sunday night. We said it was another weekend, another win for West Ham, but it's another weekend and another defeat for uh, for Norwich. The heady days of goalless draws against Burnley and Brighton are now firmly <laughs> in the uh, rearview mirror for, for Daniel Fark. Leeds 2, Norwich 1. The writing does look to be on the wall for Norwich. I'll, I'll touch on them in just a second, but Leeds are still such an incredibly difficult team to get a handle on where they are so far this season results in the last few weeks have not been dreadful they've only lost once in the Premier League six points uh, sorry seven points in the last four uh, means that they're outside of the bottom three that they've maybe got a chance of of pushing on but they still look to have this way of doing things that they want to out punch the opposition and that that's all well and good against Norwich who are who are a punching bag in the Premier League but Marcelo Bielsa is not going to change. They like to go man for man. That's their system. They back each individual player to win their battle. But inevitably, against better teams, they are going to keep getting caught out. They're not out of the woods in terms of the relegation fight. But because Bielsa won't change, do you think maybe they're doomed to just be knocking around there for the rest of the season? Uh, I think that they'll probably push on and get a, and get a run of games. But... I'm, I think I'm one of the only ones who, who I really, especially as a Man United fan, I quite enjoy uh, Matilda Beasley's uh, chutzpah about how he wants to play football and come hell or high water. Uh, it's going to be his way or no way. And uh, the, the the few Leeds fans that I've got as friends uh, are, are all behind him. And as long as they stay in the Premier League, they're quite happy. It's not going to be quite the exciting ride that it was last season for them. But I, I'm not too sure with that crop of players. I think it'd be interesting if, if he got a little bit more backing and a bit more investment to see what he could do with that style of football um, but I, I don't expect him to change it but I, I, I've been it's good to watch isn't it Where you, you, you never know what you're going to get box of chocolate syndrome at Ellen Road Indeed, uh, and Norwich. I'm sorry, I just can't bear to talk about <laughs> Norwich again. Another disappointment. I'm sorry, but it is. It's just. It's just the writing just seems to be on the wall for them. Another weekend, obviously, as you mentioned, and another defeat. Uh, they're now one of two teams who've not won in the Premier League this season. Newcastle being the other one. So it's proof that money can't buy you everything. Quick look at the top four before we wrap up. Chelsea are still top, three points ahead of Liverpool in second, Manchester City in third, and David Moyes' West Ham in fourth right that's it we're going to call it there for the football social daily weekend review show dave sam as always thanks so much for your time pleasure thanks very much great stuff guys the team will be back tomorrow niall marley and jim looking ahead to monday night action wolves against everton and building up towards a massive midweek schedule of champions league don't forget to check those shows out and always if you click subscribe on this episode you can get a brand new podcast as soon as it is ready. We'll catch you again very, very soon. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.